0: So in the recent weeks, we have been in a series looking at the fruits of the Spirit. And so this morning, we if you haven't noticed, we are looking at the fruit of joy. And yeah, linking that even to what it looks like to wait with joy um, in this Advent season. So I'm going to read our scripture for this morning. If you would like to follow along, we are in Nehemiah chapter 8. And I will be starting in verse 9 and reading to verse 12. Nehemiah Nehemiah 8, starting in verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them.
1: What an entrance, am I right? Thank you so much, Jenny, for reading that for us. So many of you, when you hear that we're going to talk about joy, there's two types of different extreme people. One is the joyful person, and they're like, it's about time. Let's talk joy. Let's do it. Let's get excited in here. Amen? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other side of us. Joy. Ridiculous. What a pipe dream. I know that's not real. Joy is divisive. No matter how you cut it, no matter what side you land on, it's divisive. To quote the great philosopher Peter Pan, he says, just think happy things and your heart will fly on wings. What an awesome blessing. Just think happy things. Sometimes we feel that pressure, though, right? If we're not experiencing joy, we think, just think happy things, and we'll fly on wings. It, It sounds so easy, but joy can be so elusive, so hard to hold on to, like water in your hands. No matter how much you try to cup it and seal every section, you'll run out. Now, the opposite of Peter Pan is not a normal person. It is a captain, which nobody seems to respect. He is a captain of a ship, Captain Hook. And there's a war between Peter Pan and Captain Hook. There's a war between the happy and the cynical that we're all forced to take sides in. We can choose to be happy and continue to chase joy, continue to have the silver lining, or we can be realistic and say, Joy is not attainable. Everything in life will let us down. But often we think that being joyful and being lighthearted are synonymous. Like a joyful person is like, whatever, it's cool, we're cool. So sorry, I burned the house down. Whatever, just joyful spirit, it's fine. But joyfulness and lightheartedness are not synonymous. And then on the flip side of the coin, we think that joyfulness and authenticity are mutually exclusive. You can't be honest. You're not having a good day. You're not fine today. Have you ever had a conversation with a friend and they say, hey, can I be real for a second? You're like, sure, yeah, let's be real. I'm just so joyful. (laughs) No, they think realness means something hard. Honesty means something hard. So we see these two different sides of the coin, either the happy-go-lucky, light-hearted, naive group of people who are flying around, who are stuck in boyhood, who never grow up, who never have a responsibility. Then on this other side, there are these grumpy curmudgeons who are working their way to the top. They're pirates. They're just trying to make a living, but they're mean and they want to kill the lost boys. You gotta pick one. There's nothing in the middle. But today, I want to talk about a third option that we see, a third option that's throughout all of Scripture, and that's true joy. It's not being lighthearted and flippant. It's not being a curmudgeon. It's being able to be completely and deeply joyful. And we see that in that passage that Jenny just read, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So why is joy so difficult? Why is joy so elusive? Well, most people in our culture, we think that history is progressive, and that means that each group, each generation is better than the one before. Uh, It makes sense. It's not like, hey, we're better than you. It's we're working on what you have done before us and fixing it. (laughs) We think that history is progressive and and think about our world. Think about everything that I have access to. I can literally stay in bed, go on my computer, order Ben and Jerry's, and have a robot drop it off at my home. What luxury. Did anybody go to a a literal physical store for Christmas shopping? One old, couple old-fashioned folk, yeah. Yeah. Nostalgic? No, I get it. It's fine. You ruined my point. That's okay, though. We have so much comfort accessible to us. But it's not just comfort. It's also productivity. When I'm on social media, most of the things I see are about being productive in your work. Do more work in one day than your peers do in a whole week. Or maybe there's productivity in our health. Get shredded. That'd be nice. But then we think about human connection as well. It's not just things. It's not just being a productive person. It's also having a real connection with somebody. Do you guys have any idea how many friends I have? Thousands. Thousands and thousands of friends. But Not even just friends. Followers. They are literally tracking everything I do out of pure interest and respect of me. I have this deep human connection. So why aren't we more happy? Why are we not joyful? You know, in 2017, there's a study that says American parents are some of the most unhappy parents in all of developed countries. Right here in America, we're so unhappy. Millennials are the most anxious and stressed generation in all of American history so far analysts are still trying to figure it out they don't know why millennials are so anxious and stressed and depressed the news is riddled with wealthy and famous people who are tempted to commit suicide and some of them follow through we think man they gotta money, they've got fame, they've got love. And I was just watching the news just the other day, and they did a study that said the majority of people in America see people on either pay scales of them as in a better situation. All these people are benefiting more, and these people are benefiting more. It's right in here where I am, that I'm holding the grunt, the brunt of everything. Is brunt a word? I don't know. But there's this deep longing in us, and joy is not being satisfied. And there are three different things, at least that I do, and I think that most of us do to pursue joy. Firstly, we pursue pursue possessions. There's this old-timey thing called a commercial that if you watch TV, you had to sit through the commercials. You can see in commercials that things are presented as fixtures. If you buy this, if you eat this, if you go here, you'll be joyful. I've never seen somebody more excited to eat a salad than in a commercial. Then productivity, we just, we just wanna progress. We wanna take the next step forward, the next step in our career, the next step in our self-awareness, the next step in our church's growth, the next step in everything. Let's just progress. Let's just take a step forward. This one is really big for me. When I'm feeling stressed out, I clean my desk. Whew, there is so much joy in a clean desk. And then for others of us, a common pursuit of joy is in people. Having friendships, a spouse, a child, uh a children. That there is these three common pursuits, and none of them are wrong inherently. But the bottom line is, as so many of us use this as the root and the foundation of our joy. Hear this. This is from Psychology Today. It says, research shows that much of happiness is under personal control, regularly indulging in small pleasures, Getting absorbed in challenging activities, setting and meeting goals, maintaining close social ties, and finding purpose beyond oneself all increase life satisfaction. Do you guys catch that? I I tried to underline it and italicize it. Much of happiness is under my control. I can do this. I can hold the water in my hand. But what we see in the Bible is that joy is not in our personal control, but joy is in the Lord. Joy is in the Lord. And looking at this passage in Nehemiah chapter 8, I kind of want to set the tone real briefly. Uh, Long story short, there's a people in exile for a really long time. They finally move to Jerusalem. Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem to help them build a wall around the city to protect them. And now they have the city. They have completed the wall. And then the law is read to them by Ezra. And that's where all the weeping and the sadness and the mourning come in. And a lot of us, when we think of God, we think, yeah. When I think about having an interaction with God, I'm thinking weeping, mourning, sadness. A lot of us see God as anti-joy. A lot of us think that he's not for pleasure. I think... How the world sees Christians is is a big part of that, especially in America. They view us, uh, view Christians, some rightly, some wrongly, as moral vigilantes. That means that we're taking everybody's moral lives in our hands. Or maybe uh, a better way to think about it is when I was in school, the weekend was coming up and was a last class and the bell's about to ring and the teacher says, pack up your stuff. And we're like, yes. And then the kid in the front row says, "Oh, excuse me, uh, you didn't assign any homework?" And you're like, "Come on, Christians." <laughs> we think about characters in TV shows. We think about Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. Think about Angela Martin from The Office. Think about Shirley Bennett from Community. These are all characters in fiction shows in America that uh, present Christians as being moral vigilantes, because that's the way we view God. What a buzzkill, that God, just telling me what to do all the time. But what we forget is that God created joy. God created pleasure, and he wants that for us. In fact, in, in Luke chapter seven, Pharisees accused Jesus of being too joyful. They called him a drunkard and a glutton. Joy is mentioned nearly 200 times in the the whole of Scripture. And when we see this in Nehemiah 8, he says, Don't be sad. Let's go have a feast. Let's eat fat. Amen. Let's drink sweet wine, if you have that translation. Or to speak to us today, it would be like, don't be grieved. Let's go have the biggest gluten-free pizza and a small batch microbrew. (laughs) Banquets throughout all of Scripture are a symbol of the joy and the celebration of God. That's not on accident. That's not because they didn't have Netflix. They're like, what are we going to do? I guess we're going to eat. A banquet is a symbol of joy and rejoicing, and God is at the head of the table celebrating joyfully, connecting with us, laughing at our terrible jokes. He loves us, and he loves to celebrate with us. So what does it look like for God to be a God of joy? Well, firstly, we see that God is a joyful giver. God joyfully gives. These people in Nehemiah, They have been living in exile and they finally have a community. They finally have a group that belongs to them. So Nehemiah says, let the joy of your owning things be your strength. No, he says, let the joy of the Lord be your strength. Because we have that tension, right? Look at what I have. I've had a really rough day, but at least I own a car. Man, I've had a really bad day, but man, Eddie Bauer was having a sale, so I'm feeling okay. That happened to me recently. Um, we have this, this tension to just gather everything that we own and let it make us feel good, give us happiness, but it never does. My family, we watch uh, America's Funniest Home Videos every Saturday night. Because it's clean and funny. And around this time, they do this thing when kids open up gifts. And it's uh, usually kids who are just, they got exactly what they wanted. And they're freaking out, and they're running all over the place. And they're just, they're excited, and, and this is fun. And I like to imagine a year later, and the kid sits down, Dear Santa, I am still satisfied with my gift. Please do not send anything else. I cannot take the amount of joy that this thing is giving me. Please stop all gifts. No. There's something else that we want. There's something else that we need. That joy disappears. Jesus says in Matthew 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything because the Lord will give us all that we need. God gives joyfully. Secondly, a God of joy looks like God joyfully works in our lives. He joyfully works. Now, this really contradicts how I think of joy, because to me, the joy of my productivity is my strength. I had a really bad day, but man, I hit the gym real hard, so I'm going to be okay. Or I had a bad day, but I lost half a pound. So I feel pretty good. You can tell all of mine are physical. I had a bad day, but I didn't binge eat. Or I had a bad day, but at least I'm progressing in my job. At least I'm doing better. At least I'm reaching my goals. See, we want to earn our joy. We want to earn what makes us joyful and happy. The Israelites in Nehemiah, they did something amazing. They built a wall while raising their families, having business, and having weapons just in case they got attacked. I can hardly mow my lawn. This is something incredible that I would not have been surprised if Nehemiah said, do not grieve. The joy of your hard work is your strength. Look at what you've done. Feel good. But Galatians chapter 2 says that we are not justified by our works, but by the work of Jesus Christ. God joyfully works in our lives, and he works through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, God is joyfully present. We think about the Israelites. They're here. They've been in exile. They finally have a community that's made up of people just like them. Man, that has got to feel good. You're finally in a community of people who worship the God that you worship. Do things the way that you do things. Do not grieve. The joy of your relationship is your strength. Look who's around you. These people will never let you down. Well, if you're new at Scarlet City Church, I'm thankful that you're here, but there's something that we also say frequently is that we will let you down. With all of our best intentions, we will hurt each other and we'll ask for forgiveness. But God is always present with us. God is always perfect. It says in Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, In your presence is the fullness of joy. Though No matter how much or few relationships we have, God is always present with us. And lastly, the God of joy means that God joyfully invites. God joyfully invites. And I love what's happening in this passage because Ezra and the Levites, they read the law, which they were supposed to do, and everybody is grieved because they know of the terrible things that they've done. They've known that they have not lived up to the law that God has made for them. And they're grieved in their mourning. I love this invitation. Let's celebrate. Let's rejoice because God is a God of invitation. The thing is, we're all invited to the feast. We're all invited to rejoice in the joy of the Lord. And he is our strength. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from, we're all invited to this table. They're celebrating a feast. It was a a feast that happened regularly, but the feast focused was of recommitting your life to Christ. Excuse me, recommitting to the law of God. And the invitation is the same to us. Every single day, no matter what we've done, we are invited into this feast. And maybe you're thinking, man, I mean, that sounds nice, but you have no idea what I did this weekend. You don't know how low I've gone. And I say to you, do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength." Maybe you're thinking, "Man, on the way over here, St Pastor, I, like I said some terrible things to my spouse, some like really rotten things. And I would say, "Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength." Or maybe you're thinking, oh, the pride and anger is just rotten in my heart. It's disgusting. You have no idea what's in there. But the Lord does, and the invitation is the same. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. When we think about joy, we think about the gift of joy. It can't be owned It can't be earned. It can't be found somewhere special. It can only be received, given by God to us. But joy isn't a gift for joy's sake. God doesn't give us joy and say, all right, feel good. I'll be back in seven years for the next Feast of the Trumpets, and we'll do this whole thing again. No, there's a strength and a power of joy. That when we have deep, true joy, we don't just sit where we are, but we continue to move forward. See, many of us, and when I say many of us, I'll, I'll say me. I'm prone to view joyful people as, as weak. I can say, ah, you're so naive. You just, you just don't know. You have just not experienced it like I have. You're a joyful person, you like don't even. But joy is often seen as weak because a lot of us use joy as escapism. A lot of us, especially in the church, we use it to escape deep grief and deep sadness. We call this finding the silver lining. You know, this terrible thing happened, but uh but you know, I I have good friends. You know, this terrible thing happened, but the Lord is going to use it, so better feel happy. That's how it's been used for a long time, both in and outside the church. Joy is tempting to just breeze over the pain and hardships in life. But then in the same way, I can think that cynicism is seen as a strength, that solemnity and hardness of heart. Because when we continue to pursue joy and it falls short over and over again, I just start to harden my heart, start to never trust a good thing. Things that we thought would give us joy, they just leave us empty. So I just stop pursuing joy. Really, that makes me stop pursuing anything. What the Bible says is that the joy gives us strength to endure. Joy gives us strength to continue. Joy gives us strength to be faithful. I think about this from, uh, it's not on the screen. It's by a New York Times columnist uh, named Heather Haverleski. Um, And she wrote this column uh, called The Smile Factory and just kind of talking about the tension of joy. She said this, I think it's really good. Even as depression and anxiety or else simple dissatisfaction with the state of things are as prevalent as ever, we are urged to get over these feelings, to recover from them, to bounce back quickly or else conceal them. To do otherwise is to embrace the fail. You are not following the rules. Start acting like a happy winner or you just might become a depressed loser forever. We feel this Tension to use joy to make other people know that we're okay. But when we view joy rightly, that joy is a strength. Joy gives us the strength to suffer. We look at Romans chapter 5. He says we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. Without that joy, we're not able to fully engage And suffering. And I'm not talking about suffering like your dishwasher broke and now you have to use your hands. I'm talking about real painful loss, suffering. Having deep joy also gives us the strength and ability to grieve. Sad things are sad. We need to stop trying to make sad things happy things. We need to have the stability and the joy in our heart to be able to dig deep into grief. And then lastly, joy gives us the strength for repentance. And repentance is just a way to say that we admit that we're wrong and we ask for forgiveness. Man, it is really hard for me to do that with people. It's really hard for me to do that with God, to admit that I'm wrong. But when my joy is in the Lord, when I know that He is present in my life, when I know that He has given me everything that I need, I have the joy to be able to admit my own faults and ask for forgiveness. And I want to close with this. Joy, it cannot be owned. Joy cannot be earned. Joy can't even be found Joy can only be given and received. And so many of us, we try to use our strength to get joy, to own it, to earn it, to find it, and we'll always come up short, like the water trickling through our hands. We grow tired, we grow cynical, we grow angry. And when we depend on our personal control, we find ourselves without joy and without strength. But when we depend on the Lord, when we rest in his work, when we delight in his presence, we'll have both joy and strength. We have such a limited, simple definition of joy. It's it's happiness. But in reality, joy is strong. Joy is a pleasure. Joy is serious and it's real. And when we accept the joy of the Lord, it may not look like what we thought but it will be what we need. And I know, I know there's a lot of us here today that have depression, that have anxiety, that have serious stress and pain. And this thing that I'm talking about, it just seems like another pipe dream. And I want to say again, when we accept the joy of the Lord, it may not look like what we thought joy would look like, but I promise it'll be what we need. So let's come to the table, let's eat the best food, let's drink the best wine, and let's rejoice in the goodness, the justice, the sovereignty, and grace, and in the joy of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are active in our lives. We thank you that you are a generous God, you are generous In joyful giving, you are generous in your joyful work. You are generous in your joyful presence and in your joyful invitation. We thank you that this is just as true for us today as it was for the Israelites. We thank you that the invitation is for each and every one of us, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what we've come from. And Lord, we thank you that joy gives us the strength to move forward, that you invite us and accept us the way we are, but not to stay the way we are. Lord, we ask that you would fill us with joy, that you would grow us in understanding of who you are, and you would help us see you in every aspect of our lives. We pray all this in the name of your Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.